Great. Well, good afternoon. Oh, good, good morning. That was close, wasn't it? It's been a long day already. Um, it hasn't been that long. Um, my name's Rich. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. Um, it's great to see you all with us. Um, I hope you're ready uh, to do some work in Daniel. Um, as a church, we've been working through the, back, the book of Daniel, which is um, in the Old Testament. Um, if you have a Bible, it's about two-thirds of the way through. Um, and uh, it's it's at a quite critical point in um, the people of God's history um, that we're going to be delving into. We did the first session, uh, well, the first chapter last week. Uh, we had an intro session before that. Um, and we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2, if you want to turn there. Um, just before we get too much into Daniel, um, you might have noticed, one or two of you, um, that this week has been particularly significant um, for us. Uh, as a nation, not just because of Euro 2016, um, but Thursday we had a massive uh, referendum um, that basically uh, was quite a defining moment for us as a nation. Um, if you're not from the UK or you weren't voting, I'm sure you heard about it and were probably looking in on what was going on, um, how the campaigns featured and the result and everything and the, everything that's happened subsequent to that. Um, and it really has been a massive a massive uh, decision that's been made um, by the nation as a whole. Um, it's really important that we understand as a church, one, how to engage with that, um, and two, um, how we then respond. Um, I think very often uh, when big decisions and big, um, particularly political decisions are made, it can feel like it's made somewhere out there um, without very much... Um, if you like, that without much necessary engagement, we play our part in the democratic process, um, but it's almost like there's something beyond that. There's something deeper that's happening across the nation. And I think that's true. I think, um, I think what we read biblically is that actually when we as citizens live in a nation like this, we play our part in the democratic process, um, but actually there are much bigger things being worked out. There's much bigger things being played out. And I would just say that where some of the campaigns, not all of them by any means, but where some of the campaigns um, on both sides uh, were inspired by fear, um, sometimes by hate, um, those are some of the motivators on both sides. Um, and then as the result, you see the results of that and therefore, again, some of the reaction, again, um, motivated by fear. Um, what do we do now? Um, and motivated by hate sometimes um, in terms of the reaction to people um, and things like that. And I think it's really important for us as Christians to know how to act and how to respond in a way that is godly, in a way that is honoring, in a way that actually demonstrates that we primarily live under these authorities, but we don't fundamentally serve them. We serve a God who is above these authorities, who has placed these peoples in position. Um, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses from um, Romans, um, Romans 13. Uh, it, this is kind of on point. Daniel 2 is pretty much uh, talking pretty much exactly uh, this topic. So it is quite timely. Um, but in Romans 13, just two verses at the beginning, it says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, 
and those who resist will incur judgment. That's some pretty strong words. I don't want to get too heavy, um, but I think the Bible is really clear that as believers, we have a responsibility to live under these authorities. And not just that, but these authorities themselves have been placed there by God. And so where we can be inclined to react in a negative sense, um, actually we're reacting to what God has appointed, to what God has set in motion. And that's a really um, serious thing. Um, And so I just want us to be aware of that, especially as we process that as a church, especially as we work out the next few weeks and months as a nation, what that looks like. Um, And I would ask us as a church to be praying for those people, pray for those leaders, because this is no easy task. These are huge diplomatic negotiations that need to be worked out in discussion in a, in a forum where it, is, where, it is, um, where it is well catered for, where it is understood, where it is really thrashed out in a really healthy um, way. And that actually we as believers can play a part in that by praying. We as believers can be a part, some of us maybe um, will be, have more influence into that world, um, but we can definitely all play our part in praying for those leaders, in praying for our nation, in praying for the future. Um, it's really interesting that, th- that, that um, we, such a big political decision has just been made, um, and if we turn to Daniel 2, if you have it in your Bibles, um, it will come up behind me on the screen. Um, <coughs> Daniel, um, at this stage... Um, is living uh, away from home, uh, if you like. So the Babylonian Empire, which is another empire, um, essentially was raised up by God um, to discipline his people. Um, So essentially what's happened up to this point is um, the people of Israel have turned their back on God, um, by and large, and uh, the Bible says that the Babylonians were raised up um, and they came into Israel what was Israel, the promised land, um, and they took, if you like, the elite of God's people with them um, into Babylon. Um, And a part of their strategy was to bring the elite, those of stature, those wise, those of particular social standing, draw them into Babylonian culture, teach them, educate them in Babylonian ways, in Babylonian thought, in Babylonian philosophy, in in Babylonian culture, with a view um, to then kind of assimilating those people. So then when they would be repatriated, they would have a Babylonian stamp on them um, that was something of an authority in, in, in that nation. And the Babylonians would be able to control, if you like, through those mediums. Um, and so this is the situation that Daniel's found himself in. Um, so last week we looked at chapter one. Um, Daniel, if you like, entering into um, that school of Babylonian training. Um, and this week we're moving into chapter um, two. Um, it is a long chapter, uh, you might have noticed, um, and I, I wasn't going to read the whole thing, but I actually am. Um, not all in one go, you'll be pleased to know. Um, we'll break it up as we go through, um, and we'll just pick out points on the way through. Um, but it, it is quite a long chapter, so hold on to your seatbelts. Um, but I'm going to pray, um, and then I'll start reading. Lord, we honour you this morning as the King and Lord of all. 
Lord, and we just say that we live in submission to you, Lord, and we recognize, um, Lord, the powers and authorities, Lord, that you have placed in our lives over us, Lord, and we just say that although we love and serve and honor those, Lord, we recognize that you are sovereign. Lord, we recognize that you are over all of them. And Lord, we want to live in submission to you. And Lord, we just ask that as we work through Daniel, Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom, Lord, give us understanding, Lord, teach us how to apply this. Teach us how to live this out um, in a world that is so dogmatic, in a world that is so um, can be so difficult to navigate at times, Lord, especially in workplaces, politically, in home lives, on our streets, with our neighbours. Lord, all of those things. We pray, God, give us wisdom. Um, and Lord, we pray that you would speak to us um, as we open your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. So Daniel 2. Uh, I'm going to read from verses 1 to, through to 15. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldean said to the king of, in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, the word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you, you shall be torn limb from limb and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show you its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed. They sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who, has gone out to kill, who, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And I just want to pick out a few things um, about Nebuchadnezzar, who is the ruling king in Babylon at this time. Um, you'll notice right there at the beginning, um, his sleep leaves him. Um, and he's had this dream, his spirit is troubled, and sleep has left him. Um, if you've ever been in a position where you've lost sleep over something, um, perhaps anxiety or perhaps worry about a situation or um, a circumstance or decision you have to make, it can be incredibly difficult to handle. I've known it a couple of times in my life uh, where you have big decisions or big responsibility, things that you're carrying, um, and you've struggled to sleep because every time you go to bed, your mind is racing with all of these things. And in that state, 
it can be really disillusioning. You can feel really disorientated, like everything is back to front. You're lying there in bed thinking, all I want to do is sleep, and I've just got a million and one things racing through my mind. And it's not the coffee because I haven't had any, right? And you can be in that position. It's really like, it's quite frightening. It can be really isolating because nobody else necessarily sees that or knows that. Um, but, and the king here is really troubled by it. A king who is a sovereign power um, in the state of Babylon who shouldn't, shouldn't have worries on that level is disturbed and his sleep is lost. So this is a man um, whose sleep has uh, left him. Um, Nebuchadnezzar, um, he then turns to, if you like, the prevailing wisdom of the day. He turns to those that can uh, help him, presumably. It says in verse 2, Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. The Chaldeans were um, a people within Babylon, um, but they were recognized for being particularly educated, particularly wise, um, and particularly insightful as a people. And so he brings all of these people in together. He kind of holds court with them and says, Guys, Help me out here. I'm having trouble with this dream, and I need you to um, work it out uh, with me. Um, not only that, but he makes a really interesting statement. He doesn't just want them to interpret the dream. Um, he actually says to them, I want you to tell me my dream. What was my dream? And then tell me the interpretation. And he says, if you can tell me my dream, then I will know that you can interpret it. Um, he's, essentially, what he's, he's kind of testing them in a way, saying, if you can tell me the dream, then I can trust you um, with the insight. Um, and the Chaldeans, who are obviously, uh, well, the first, well, they are wise. Um, so first of all, make the objection and say, well, tell us the dream. We'll tell you the interpretation. And the king is, no, 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 no. It's not going to work like that. You tell me the dream and you then tell me the interpretation. Um, and we see actually as this backwards and forwards, particularly with the Chaldeans, the king kind of makes it really clear. He really makes it, he kind of forces it. He makes it a bit of a black and white issue, really. He says, if you don't tell me, the dream, and if you don't tell me the interpretation, then you're going to die. That's what he says in verse 5. Um, however, if you do tell me, you will receive rewards, you will receive honor. Um, in verse 5, he says, you'll be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. The king doesn't really give them any middle ground. You either do or you don't. There's no figuring out. You either tell me or... And if it's wrong, then you're going to die. Um, or you tell me, um, and if it's right, you will be honored um, and rewarded as such. Um, it's interesting that very often um, society does this. Society takes certain issues and it creates polar opposites. It basically removes the middle ground. It removes any discussion. Um, it removes any debate. And basically, you sit on either one side or the other. And you see it, you see it quite clearly, particularly with social issues. Um, so um, a, I guess a big one in the nation that was running up to this referendum um, was immigration. You see it with immigration. You're either for immigration or you're against immigration. And that's very much how it's played out. There's no room for discussion because you're either for or against. 
And society does this, and it kind of creates these polar opposites, it, it, and there's no kind of engaging, there's very little willingness to actually engage in debate, there's very little willingness to want to kind of seek resolution or peace, and it does it by kind of creating these polar opposites. And that's exactly what Nebuchadnezzar does, is he creates this very stark black and white contrast. Um, and then finally, when they can't tell him the dream, um, he sends out this decree to kill all of the wise men, all of the Chaldeans, all of the sorcerers, all of the enchanters. Um, now, it's interesting to note that Daniel, um, who came out of um, what was uh, Israel, the people of God, um, is brought into, uh, if you like, this school of training. He's, he's being trained in Babylonian culture. He's being trained in Babylonian philosophy and the way of life. Um, and he doesn't seem to be in this, this group. Um, I guess it's kind of like if you had a maths problem, um, you probably wouldn't go to um, perhaps a first degree maths student because they might not know the answer. They might be a genius and might know the answer, um, but you would probably go to somebody that was wiser, somebody that was more experienced, somebody that was, had better understanding, somebody that had uh, probably seen similar sort of things before. Um, and so Daniel and his friends seemingly aren't included in this group that are in immediately brought before the king. And yet when the decree goes out, they are a part of that group. They are a part of that group um, that Arioch has now been sent um, to kill. And so uh, we find this funny uh, dialogue then between Daniel and Arioch, um, where uh, Daniel basically inquires... Why? Why, why? why are we now going to be killed? And so Arioch then comes to him um, and makes it known to him. Um, we're then going to move on. Uh, so we're going to jump in at chapter, in verse 16. Um, so it should come up behind me. There we go. Um, and then uh, we'll pick out a few things about Daniel's response and how he um, works it out. Uh, then Daniel, uh, da, 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 and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Uh, then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, um, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. And so right there in verse 16, Daniel steps out. Daniel steps out in faith, and he says... Um, went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation of the dream. What's interesting about that is if we have a look at the next couple of verses, Daniel doesn't have the interpretation of the dream. Daniel doesn't have the answer, right? On the face of it, this looks a little bit crazy, right? That Daniel has basically said, give me, give me a time where I can share the interpretation of this dream um, with the king um, and then 
basically Daniel then turns to his friends and says, guys, uh, you're going to have to help me out here. I haven't got a clue what's going on. Um, but Daniel steps out nonetheless um, because, and actually it's the clues given in his response when he starts to thank God. Um, he understands um, God's position. He understands God's sovereignty. He understands God's rule. He understands God's hand in Babylon. Um, he understands, he says, blessed be the name of God and Father forever, wisdom and might. He changes times and season. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. There's a fundamental thing that Daniel clings to, and that is that God is sovereign over Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he's clinging to. So he's not going in with an interpretation. He's going in knowing that God ultimately is above Nebuchadnezzar. Now, it doesn't seem quite as crazy as we might think it does because Daniel and his friends are due to be killed anyway. So Arioch's gone to kill them all, all the wise men in Babylon. Um, and so actually, uh, I, can, I kind of think of Dan, in terms of Daniel making this decision, it was... It probably was a little bit of a crazy decision to make. You can think about trying to turn that over in your mind, what that would actually thought, what the thought process would actually look like to get you to that point. Um, but actually, um, he's kind of Arioch's come to kill all of the wise men of Babylon, so he's kind of already on that trajectory anyway. So, on the one hand, it's risky, but on the other hand, it's kind of like, well, you might as well have a go, right? Like, you're in this position, you're going to die either way. Like, you might as well have a punt and see, and, and just, just, just believe God that he's going to come through. Just believe that God is sovereign over Nebuchadnezzar and will actually give the answer. And so what does Daniel do? Well, he turns to his running partners. Daniel gathers his friends. Daniel turns to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, his companions. Um, if, you've, if you're not a part of Revelation Church, Running Partners um, is what we do here, where we do exactly this. We do exactly what Daniel's just done. Um, we gather in small groups between three and five, um, and we just pray together. We encourage one another. We um, spur one another on. Um, the verses, like iron sharpens iron. We rub against each other, and we actually spur one another on to godliness. It's the way that here at Revelation Church we work out discipleship. We work out community um, in a very real and meaningful way. And that's exactly what Daniel does. So he gathers his um, running partners um, and he kind of goes home to them. He went to his house, made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions. He basically says, guys, I've done something a little bit funny. Uh, will you now stand with me and pray? Will you seek God for mercy? Um, and will you seek God concerning this mystery? Will you stand with me and will you pray? Um, we did a series on running partners um, just before we started the Daniel series, um, so about a month, two months ago. Um, we did five, uh, four sessions um, on running partners, and they're all on the website. I would highly recommend downloading them. We've produced a booklet about running partners, what that means, what that looks like, and how we can do this meaningfully, how can we can do this well. Um, and uh, you can get that the Light to Know More table. It's a really valuable resource in terms of learning and understanding how to do this in, in incredible detail. I'm not going to go too much further into the actual dynamics of what they do, um, but essentially Daniel finds his running partners and he calls them to prayer. We then also see that seemingly, uh, if we read on further through, um, that actually uh, Daniel goes in um, 
to be with the king. Um, I wasn't, as I said, I wasn't going to read the whole chapter, um, but uh, I am actually going to read uh, the, um, the dream and the interpretation um, that Daniel has, because I think there's some key points that Daniel, that we pick out from um, in Daniel's response and how he handles that. So if you have a Bible, um, then we'll just carry on in the chapters, but um, unfortunately it will not come up on the slides behind me. Um, and so Daniel uh, then goes into the king um, and he says that now I'm going to tell you, um, essentially he does exactly what the king's asked. I'm going to tell you the dream and then I'm going to tell you the interpretation. Um, and so from verse 31, Daniel says, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image, this image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you and its appearance was frightening. Because this is an image, if you are particularly visual, you may want to just close your eyes and I'm reading um, and just Picture it. Picture what Daniel sees um, in the dream. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Verse 36, this was the dream. Now we, we, seemingly, I assume that he's gone in with his, with his running partners. Whether they've come for moral support, uh, whether they've come as part of his, his household, as part of who he was, I'm not entirely sure why they're there, but he says we. Um, now we will tell the king its interpretation. Um, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the Lord, uh, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. Um, and as you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. And this is, this is, this is, if you like, the pinnacle of his interpretation. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. It shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Two things to pick out um, from Daniel's from, from Daniel's discussion with the king or Daniel's um, sharing with the king. Um, one, and quite surprisingly, given that Daniel is an exile living in captivity um, 
who is basically being indoctrinated with Babylonian culture. Um, he actually honors King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. That's, that's, that's massive, that Daniel, this guy who's living in captivity, who's been stolen from his homeland and been brought into exile um, in Babylon, is basically uh, honoring the king as being instituted, positioned, and put there by God. So you see, that verse I read in Romans 13 is exactly what's happening. Is that actually there are rulers and authorities that are in place that God has instituted, that God has put there. And Daniel, in this case, is, is honoring him as such. He's honoring him. He's recognizing that God has placed him there. We then see later on um, that Daniel is bold. Uh, I imagine if I were to stand before um, a king or queen, um, at this point, it would be quite a sobering message to deliver. Um, I'm not sure I would quite have the bottle for it. Um, it's massively intimidating. You think of all the regalia, you think of the, um, the courts, the, the, just, the, just the sheer presence of the whole thing, the magnitude. The, the, it's, it's really, um, it's a big deal. And yet basically what Daniel says is, um, verse 44, and, uh, da, 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 and in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. Essentially, what Daniel's saying is these succession of kings are essentially all going to die out as God establishes his kingdom. That's a pretty sobering message, telling a sovereign that your kingdom is going to essentially die and fizzle out. And actually, God is going to institute his kingdom in replace of yours. It's going to be like a mountain um, that grows. And it's interesting, I think, because Daniel honors leadership, because he honors um, Nebuchadnezzar in terms of in being instituted, positioned there by God, um, I think it kind of gives him, it gives him an open door to be able to speak confidently, boldly, because Nebuchadnezzar understands um, that Daniel understands that he's in submission to him. You get that? So you've got God, who is sovereign over all. You have Nebuchadnezzar, who's been positioned by God and instituted by God. And then you have Daniel, who's just entered his first year at Babylonian School of Culture, right? And Daniel is living in submission to Nebuchadnezzar, and we see that from verse 37. But he's also living before God. He's living with conviction before the God of all the earth, before the ancient of days, before the one who will establish this kingdom um, that will last forever. And so because of that, um, he's very bold in what he shares, um, understanding that actually God is sovereign even over Nebuchadnezzar. And so what happens as a result of this? What happens as a result? Well, if we have the last slide, this one will come up. Um, from verses 46 through to the end, um, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God 
sorry. Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and great many gifts and made him ruler over the whole prince province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Think about it. This is quite shocking. Daniel wasn't even considered to be one of those enchanters, sorcerers, Chaldeans, one of those wise people initially. And yet now he's been given such a position of authority in, in, in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. It's incredible, really. Um, and it's almost like um, he's been stationed. He's been stationed in such a position that has such influence right across the whole empire, basically. Um, which is which is quite astounding when you think of it. He was probably only a young man, um, but carrying huge responsibility. Um, I'm not entirely sure Daniel went in with that plan. I'm not entirely sure Daniel thought, ah, if I interpret the king's dream, this will get me ahead, or this or this or this will actually buy me favour, or this will get me in. You know, and very often we can we I think we. I think we try and orchestrate and manufacture situations to try and gain leverage or try and gain a doorway in or try and push ourselves forward or try and, by our own human endeavors, try and get some sort of step up the ladder or get somehow ahead. But Daniel doesn't seem to go in with any plan. He's like, I'm just going to tell the king his dream and interpret it. um, And I'm going to trust that as I do that, God will do what God needs to do. Um, And as we see Nebuchadnezzar comes, he falls face down um, and paid homage to Daniel. um, And he says, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. And I don't think Daniel went in necessarily thinking, well, if I can do this, then I'll get some sort of status. It'll get me up the ladder. It'll put me in a position of authority. I don't think Daniel was actually quite uh, thinking quite so strategically as that. Um, But actually, what he does do um, is when that comes, when the reward comes, um, and the king gave high honors and great many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon, and Daniel made a request. See, just as Daniel had his guys that were round him and ready to pray, ready to um, do the hard graft of actually getting hold of God for things, Daniel then makes a request, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who were these um, guys, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, these guys who have had their names changed by Babylonian culture, as we heard about last week. These guys who have had their names changed, he now appoints them, over the affairs of the province of Babylon. So what, interestingly, Daniel does is as soon as the opportunity comes, he brings others with him. He brings his running partners into it, right? And I think very often we can get trapped into thinking this somehow we live in a culture that is quite oppressive at times, that is quite domineering at times. And actually, if we can just get our head above water and if we can just get as far as we can and if we can just do this and we strive for all of these different things whether it's promotion whether it's salary whether it's home whether whatever it is if we can just get to that then we'll be okay but actually Daniel's primary thinking is is I mean he's not even thinking about that he just interprets the he just reveals the dream interprets the dream and then when the opportunity comes he brings people with him he brings people up and if you think about it actually it's not just people 
um, around him, but actually he gives them particular responsibility. He gives them particular um, responsibility in the nation of Babylon, which is incredible because now you have God's people who are in exile are now in the systematic infrastructure of Babylon. They are now in positions where they're making decisions, where they're changing things, where they're seeing, um, they're probably making fairly high-level decisions that influence the people within the empire of Babylon and their own people, um, the people of God. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's really important that we understand that actually what, what God does is he's the one that often raises us up, is that he's the one that lifts us up, is that he's the one that puts us in these positions of authority. Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar didn't have to uh, give him all of those things. He didn't have to, um, if you like, make him um, chief prefect. He didn't have to put him over the ruler of um, uh, the, province, the whole province of Babylon. Um, but what he does is, 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 is he's obviously so moved um, by what God has done in revealing this mystery to Daniel, that actually he, in return, has raised Daniel up. That God has used Nebuchadnezzar to bring Daniel through to maturity. He's used Nebuchadnezzar to raise Daniel up to a position of leadership within Babylon. Whereas seemingly at the beginning of chapter 2, he's, he's, he's not even considered, he's just one, he's just one face in a, in a crowd. And yet by the end of chapter 2, God's raised him up and placed him in a position of real leadership um, and authority in Babylon. It's really interesting that um, the key thing that Daniel does is he, is, is, is he never loses sight of who he is, of who God's made him to be. He's a part of God's people. He's a part of um, the house of Israel. He's a part of God's chosen race, God's chosen nation. It's interesting. We heard about it last week in chapter 1, that Daniel had his name changed to Belteshazzar. And yet still, at the end of chapter 2, he's still called Daniel. He's still called Daniel. He hasn't lost his identity in the process he hasn't, uh, if you like, given way to some of the prevailing culture. Um, I think we, can off, we often get stuck where we, where, where we live as Christians in the world. We can often um, find it difficult living in submission to worldly authorities. We can often find it difficult to live under those authorities and yet still honor God and yet still live with conviction before God. And actually where those two things meet whether we're going to serve worldly, worldly authority or whether we're going to serve God, where an issue is forced, where a decision has to be made about whether we're going to follow the wisdom of the world and this ruler and this authority in our lives or whether we're going to follow God and his authority and his rule, actually we can do exactly what Daniel did. We can actually step out in faith and trust him that actually as we step out and believe God that he will come through that he will be the one that honors us, that he will be the one that raises us up, that he will be the one that establishes us. Daniel isn't vying for position here. He's not fighting to get ahead. If anything, he's looking to bring everybody up with him. He's not trying to stamp on people's heads. It's not, it's not about doggy dog. It's about actually recognizing God's authority and God's raising up in his life. And so I just want to finish with three simple questions. 
Many of us probably aren't uh, living under uh, murderous threats uh, from a king like Nebuchadnezzar, um, but we are facing, some of us, um, incredible pressure. Um, and can be tempted at times to give in to that pressure. Um, But I guess I just want to ask three simple questions that just kind of force us to stop and think about who we are, who we're living in submission to, and, and, and how do we work that out. So question one, will we be a people who step out in faith even when we don't know the result, even when we don't know what's going to happen? We read in Hebrews 11 that faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. That's exactly it. Daniel's exercising faith. He hasn't got a clue. He's just saying, put me in before the king um, and I'll tell him the dream and I'll give him the interpretation. Will we be a people that live in that kind of faith? Second of all, who are you drawing into those difficult decisions? We live in a culture that is primarily me-centric, um, it's very individualistic. Uh, we think about our needs, our struggles, our pains. Um, actually, I think God wants, I think biblically, um, we need to get better at thinking about we. We need to get better at thinking about who are we bringing into um, decisions? Who are we seeking wisdom from? Who are we seeking advice and counsel from? Even before we get to those difficult decisions, right? Daniel was already working and meeting and was friends with these guys before the trouble hit, right? He didn't wait till there was a problem. Actually, he hit the problem, said, guys, um, a bit of a mess. Can you help me out? Let's pray. Let's seek God together. And actually, I think, who are we actually drawing into some of those difficult decisions? But who are we drawing into our lives? Who are we opening ourselves up to and giving access into our lives? And I think third of all, especially with a very real, very real um, political um, upheaval uh, in this nation and trying to figure out all that that means, the discussions that take place, the debates that go on, the conversations that we have. Um, how, how will we live in this world under, under worldly authority? How will we live as Daniel did under Nebuchadnezzar. How will we live under governing officials? How will we live under bosses in our workplace? How will we live under managers? How will we live in all of those different areas where God has instituted somebody over us? Because just like Daniel, our lives are a witness. Our lives are are given over to him. I would just say, um, if you are not a Christian here today, um, you might think, uh, this all sounds a little bit uh, unusual, thinking of God as being sovereign over governing officials, over authorities, over powers, over kings. Um, biblically, becoming a Christian is fundamentally repenting of your sin and saying, God, I willingly put myself in submission to your lordship, to your sovereignty. I willingly stop following my own desires, my own dreams, my own, um, if you like, uh, self-serving nature, and I willingly put myself in submission to your authority. I want to live obedient to what you have done and trusting that as Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for all of that wrongdoing, for all of that self-serving, for all of that submitting to anything other than God. And actually, 
becoming a Christian is about coming under God's authority, about living in submission to God. If the band would like to come up, um, I'm going to pray. And if you're not a believer here today, um, then please do uh, either speak with somebody that you came with um, or come and speak to myself, come speak to Hazia. Um, we'd, we'd love to talk with you. We'd love to share with you um, and, and open up what that looks like, living in submission to God, recognizing that up to this point that, we, that, that fundamentally as human beings we live self-serving. We live submitted to our own desires, to our own whims. But actually, what does it look like to live submitted to God, recognizing him as the sovereign authority over everything in the world? Why don't you jump to your feet? I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a gracious God. Lord, we thank you that you are a good God. Lord, we thank you that you are sovereign over all. Lord, thank you that when we uh, come across worldly authorities, worldly powers, that, Lord, we don't need to be um, intimidated or fearful, um, but, Lord, we can trust that you, as our ultimate authority, um, have gone before us in it, just like you did with Daniel. Lord, that you uh, will lead us and guide us as you did with Daniel. Lord, we, could, we just want to say that we want to be those that trust you, um, and Lord, I pray for anyone that's working this out, what that looks like, um, to live in submission to you above worldly authorities. Lord, I pray for grace and I pray for wisdom. Lord, I pray that you would give understanding, um, Lord, and that you would lead us on in maturity. Lord, that you would lead us on. And just like you did, Daniel, Lord, that you, you, you led him into um, an incredible place of responsibility. Lord, you, you moved him on in his journey with you. Um, Lord, you gave him, Lord, what a testimony, Lord, that Daniel had of being able to say that he was just a face in a crowd and yet you brought him right through um, to leadership, to a place of real significance and responsibility. And Lord, we just pray, Lord, that as we submit ourselves to you, Lord, we just entrust our futures to you. Lord, we just say that everything we have is given to you and for you, Lord, and we just want to live, um, Lord, under your authority. We want to live under your lordship, under your sovereignty. In Jesus' name, amen.